There's an old hymn, um, maybe you heard it as a child, maybe you sang it back in the day in church. It, it's a common children's Sunday school song, and uh, it's called Count Your Blessings. And, you know, the, the lyrics say, count your blessings, name them one by one, right? Count your many blessings, see what God has done. Um, it, just, it just seems so obvious um, that as we come up on Thanksgiving, that we need to get our hearts focused on this whole issue of counting our blessings and, and, and connecting those blessings to God. See, when we stop and think about our blessings, oftentimes, you know, if I said, hey, make a list of the things that you're blessed to have and that sort of thing, you can make a list, and my goodness, in our, in our culture and all the blessings that we have, the list would just go on and on and on and on. And a lot of times we enjoy the blessings that we have, whether they're material blessings or whether they're things like peace or whether they're things like health or whatever, and we enjoy those things without making the connection in our head and in our heart to where those blessings come from. And so we need to be careful about that. The Scripture tells us to, in everything, give thanks. And so um, as we head into the Thanksgiving week, I just want to practically apply that, and I want to give you a chance to practically apply that. So we're going to take just a couple minutes here. And I want you to think about what you're thankful for. I just want you to think about something God has blessed you with that you're genuinely thankful for. And then what I'm going to do is I'm going to open the floor and I'm going to ask you to share and just three or four or five of you and, and no more than like 15 to 30 seconds, okay? But share with us what you're thankful for. How is God blessing you? What do you want to give God the glory for? What do you want to give God the praise for? How has God blessed you? Count your blessings. What do you got? Yes, Stacy. Amen. Amen. Good. That's a good start. What are you thankful for? Yes. Yes. <laughs> good. Good. Sally? Yeah. God is so good about answering prayer. What else? What are you thankful for? Let's give him the glory he deserves. Yes. Yeah. Amen. Amen. Somebody else. What are you thankful for? Football. Football. <laughs> I, I, <laughs> listen, there are few weekends that are better for me than the weekend when there's a UCLA win and a USC loss on Saturday. So... <laughs> I wasn't going to say anything, but since you mentioned it. Yeah, Stafford. I am, I am just truly thankful that God has just rooted me here in this church and I can be your imaginary come next time. <laughs> <laughs> I'm thankful too. It gives me someone to mock next weekend. <laughs> Sandra, what are you thankful for? Yeah, amen. Good. We're on a roll. Tony. Uh, I'm thankful that you opened my eyes. I can sit here and hear what Steve preached. I'm also thankful for my daughter. Um, not only did you like her, but she's here too. Yeah. Praise God. Amen. Thanks. Anybody else want to jump in? What are you thankful for? Yes. Wait, wait. Let's go March first.
Yeah. What a blessing. Amen. Was it Chuck? Uh, yeah, I'm thankful for the strength and the energy he gives me to be able to perform for people here, to help people here. Um, yeah. With the blessings that he has uh, blessed me with. Amen. Anybody else? I don't want to cut you off because we're giving God the glory for all this, right? What are you thankful for? Anybody else want to share? Yes. Well, I'm thankful to be in this community. You know, God is so incredibly good. If, if we were to go on and on and on, all of us could give lists of hundreds of things, couldn't we? And it's a shame that, that we have to stop and think about it, right? Because we're so used to being blessed. We are so sort of, shall we say, comfortable with being blessed. And I love the, the kinds of things that were shared, you know, we need to be thankful for material things. We need to be thankful for homes. You know, we were just talking about how we need to give to the people in the community who don't have a place to live, who don't have a place to lay their head, right? We need to be thankful for that. We need to be thankful for clothes and homes and cars and all of the, the, the material blessings that we have. You know, those come from God, and sometimes we, we, we want to over-spiritualize and we diminish the material things that He gives us. He's blessed us in so many ways. But that being said... It's the deeper things that really ought to stir our hearts. It's these things like family. It's these things like um, joy, being in our right mind. It's these things like having brothers and sisters in Christ to come around and support us that we need to be thankful for. But if I was to say, boil it down in your mind, get absolutely down to the bottom line, the single thing that God has done that you are most thankful for, what would it be? Yes, right? You didn't even have to think about it. God has saved us. He has made us his own. He has set us free. If you're in this room today and you are a follower of Jesus Christ, if you have put your trust in him, the Bible says not only has he delivered you from your guilt, not only has he saved you and redeemed you, not only has he set you free, not only has he given you eternal life that is guaranteed, but he has also given you life abundantly here on earth. That's what it is to be a follower of Jesus. He saved us. It's an awesome, profound, incredible thing. And, and again, we want to be careful because as people who are saved, as people who know Jesus, and especially if you've known Jesus for some time, you know, I remember when I first got saved and, and I was experiencing Christ for the first time and I was experiencing the Holy Spirit in my life for the first time. It was like mind-boggling how much my life was changing at such a speed. And it was so incredible. I was blown away by the gospel and what it meant to me. And, and I was just always thinking about it. But the longer that I walk with Jesus, the more I just get used to it. I just get used to it. I get used to the fact that he died on a cross to set me free from my sin. And, and sometimes we need to stop and we need to think about what an incredible blessing that is. And so I want to introduce today's message in the book of Ephesians. So I want you to take your Bibles and turn to the New Testament book of Ephesians. It's right after Galatians and before Philippians in your New Testament, toward the back. And I want you to go to Ephesians chapter 1. As we think about being thankful, grateful that he has saved us, go to Ephesians chapter 1. And I want to just read to you beginning in verse 3, okay? And we're just going to look at, this is Paul's introduction in his letter to the Ephesians. Here's what he says. Ephesians chapter 1 verse 3. 
Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly, in the heavenly places in Christ. Just as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we would be holy and blameless before him. In love, he predestined us to adoption as sons through Jesus Christ to himself, according to the kind intention of his will, to the praise of the glory of his grace, which he freely bestowed upon us in the beloved. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of his grace which he lavished on us in all wisdom and insight. Think about that. It says right here, this is his introduction. This is, this is how he wants to start his letter. He says, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, just as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world. He chose you. Now, I don't want to, I'm not, the purpose of my message today is not to unpack this doctrine of salvation and how this all works, but at the same time, I don't want us to miss this, so I'm not going to go as deep as I want to go here, but I do want to get below the surface a little bit and think about what this means. It says that he chose me. Do you understand that? Do you realize what that means? It means that if you're a follower of Jesus, it's not because you did the research and you did the reading and you did the consideration, you came up and you compared all the world religions and you chose between them and you said, you know what, Christianity is the one for me. And because of your great wisdom and your great insight and all of your study, you came up with the right answer and ding, 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 you get to go to heaven because you chose him. That's not how it works. It says... He chose you. And, and as you unpack, especially Paul's theology in the New Testament, and he explains the nature of salvation, here's what he tells us. He had to choose you because you'd have never chosen him. It wasn't in me to choose him. It wasn't in you to choose him. There's no way you would have sought him out. The scripture says there is no one who does good. No, not even one. There is no one who seeks after God. Not even one. Nobody of their own accord in the flesh even wants to know God because we're rebellious by nature at the time of our birth. And yet, he chose you. He chose you. It's an incredible concept. It's the concept of adoption. Look at verse 5. He predestined us to adoption as sons through Jesus Christ to himself according to the kind intention of his will. Have you ever thought about yourself as being adopted? It's amazing. I want you to picture this, okay? Just picture a third world country. You just choose whatever third world country you want. A place where there's poverty and, and a, a low infant um, mortality age. A place where there's suffering. A place where many parents have died, perhaps due to war or due to the AIDS epidemic or something like that. And there are thousands, if not hundreds of thousands, or even millions of orphans that are there. And picture this, you're one of those orphans and you got nobody and there's no one who can help you. And the, and the government has scraped together these sort of low-end houses where they're, they're housing orphans and there's hundreds of orphans in this house growing up in this house that really ought to be able to handle about two dozen, and there's really 200. 
and you're there and you're just trying to eke out a life and you're trying to stay alive in the little bit of food that they give you and you don't have any hope and you don't have anyone to help you and you have nowhere to go and you have nothing to offer and you're just sort of sitting there. And every now and then they'll bring a group of people from the West and they're coming on their mission trips for a week or two and they come to help and they're, they're like digging wells or they're painting the building or they're doing something like that to help with the orphanage. And every time they come for the first two or three times, you get all perked up and you start going up to them and you want to meet them and talk to them because you think, maybe they'll notice me. Maybe they'll take me home. Maybe I can get out of here. Maybe they'll want me. Maybe I can stand out compared to all of these other orphans. But they never do and they never notice and they don't seem to care. And after a while, when you see a new group coming in, you don't even lift your head. You just stay in the corner where you can protect the little bowl of rice that you've got so that you don't lose it. And as that's happening, there is one who, after everyone has left, is walking through the crowd, stepping through the crowd of children, and he just walking your direction, and he looks down, and he calls you by name. And you look up, and it's a king. And he says, I choose you. And he takes you by the hand and he lifts you up and he puts you in his arms and he carries you away to be his child. With all of the rights and the privileges that come with royalty, you have gone from being an orphan in the corner and somehow, some way, in ways you can't understand and you couldn't possibly begin to explain, you don't know why he didn't choose the prettier one, you don't know why he didn't choose the stronger one, you don't know why he didn't choose somebody else, you don't even know how he knew your name, but somehow it was like he just knew you even before he got there and he walked right to where you were and he called you by name and he made you his child and now you're no longer groveling in a corner, now you're no longer wondering if you're going to eat again. Now you have promised to you all of the rights and privileges that come to a son or a daughter of the king. That's what our God has done for us. It's an unbelievable reality. And don't think for a second it's because you were so special that you stood out. You're special because he says you're special. You're special because he loves you. He doesn't love you because you're special. We didn't have anything to offer. He made us his children, and the Bible says we are joint heirs with Jesus, and that he has already blessed us with every blessing in the heavenly places. Look at verse 7. In him we have redemption through his blood, as we celebrated this morning with the, with the breaking of the bread and the, and the juice. His blood, redemption through his blood. I'm going to ask you to picture this. It's 1825. You live in South Carolina. You're a slave. You were born to slaves. Your parents were slaves. Your grandparents were slaves. It was your grandparents who were captured and brought here and made slaves. And you don't know any other life. The only way you've ever thought of yourself is a slave. And they put you in chains. And there is someone who tells you what to do and you have to do it and when you don't, and if you don't even have the right look on your face or you don't do it the way they want it done or you don't do it with a happy attitude or something like that, they beat you. And you go to bed every night just cursing the day you were born and thinking, this is not life, and yet you sleep with chains on your wrists. The scripture says he has redeemed us 
That means that he came out to the plantation and he looked upon us, this group of slaves, and he said, I'll pay whatever price you're asking. I'll give you whatever you want. Just set them free. And they gave him the keys after he paid the price. And one by one, he came through and unlocked your shackles and dropped off your chains and said, come with me because you're never coming back to a life like this again. You have been redeemed. That's what redemption is. What an amazing thing our God has done for us. He did that for you, not because you deserve it, but according, according to verse 6, to his marvelous grace. What is grace? Grace is when you're blessed even when you deserve to be punished. Grace for you. He poured it out on you. And it's been said that he loves every individual so much that if you were the only individual who ever broke his law, if you were the only person who ever sinned, that he would love you so much that he would send his son Jesus to die for just you. Now, I don't know if that's true, but it sounds right to me. That's the kind of love that he has for us. And imagine that. He would do that just for you. But here's the thing. You aren't the only sinner in need of God's grace. In fact, let's just do like an um, informal poll here. Raise your hand if you've ever met another sinner. Okay? Hands down. And now raise your hand if you've never met another sinner. See, we're all in the same boat. I know some of you are, are pointing at specific people, but that's, that was not my point. My point is this. We're all in the same boat, aren't we? Every one of us, the same story. And God has given us salvation, given it to us. But what's amazing is that's not the end of his saving work. The story of salvation doesn't end with me. He actually saved me for a purpose. And today we're going to get a glimpse of that purpose when we dig into Psalm 67. So take your Bibles, go to the Old Testament, go to Psalm 67, and we're going to get a sense of at least part of the picture of the purpose for which he poured out his grace upon us. And so let's look at Psalm 67, and we're just going to begin by reading verse 1. Psalm 67, 1. God, be gracious to us and bless us and cause his face to shine upon us. It's a blessing. The, the psalm begins with a blessing. It, it's very much like the way that at the end of the service, I typically ask you to stand up and I raise my hands and I pray over you and I ask God to bless you and pronounce a blessing upon you. That's the idea here with the psalmist. He is blessing and he is blessing us, and he is asking God to be gracious to us, to bless us, and to cause his face to shine upon us. What a blessing. And that's how the psalmist is praying for us, right at the beginning of the psalm. And we've already been talking about how marvelously God has answered that prayer to bless us, right? He has blessed us with unimaginable grace. But I want to take it a step farther. I want us to think about this question. How does he intend to use that grace that he's already poured out upon you? What does God have in mind by blessing us so abundantly? Why is he so over the top with this blessing? I mean, why bless us like this? Is it really just for us? Or does he have some greater, bigger purpose in mind for his blessing? Well, he explains it all beginning in verse 2. Look at verse 2. 
So he prays for this blessing. Then he says, that your way, God, may be known on the earth, your salvation among the nations. Let all the peoples praise you, O God. Let all the peoples praise you. Let the nations be glad and sing for joy, for you will judge the peoples with uprightness and guide the nations on the earth. Let the peoples praise you, O God. Let the peoples praise you. The, the earth has yielded its produce. God, our God, blesses us. God blesses us that all the ends of the earth may fear him. Have you ever thought about this? Why God has blessed us so much? Have you ever thought about this greater purpose that he may have in mind for the blessings that he pours out in my life? A lot of Christians bask in the wonder of these blessings that he has for us, and we just enjoy all that he has done for us, and we are thankful, and we do praise him and all of that, and we're just basking in the joy of it. In fact, there is, there is a way to take this too far, and we see this happening a lot today. There are a lot of people naming the name of Jesus, even preachers and even authors, who are telling us really that that's the whole point, that God blessing us is the point of our lives, and that what we ought to do when we pray is this, ask for him to bless us more. And what we ought to be looking for is the keys to unlock his blessings so more of his blessings will pour out upon us. And, and if we get that perspective and we start thinking that it's all about that, we have missed the point. He has this greater purpose in mind. We may even stop to thank him from time to time, but for the most part, for a lot of people, that's about as far as it goes. We just enjoy the blessings. For a lot of us, the best way I could illustrate this is something like this. A lot of us are like a bucket. If your life is represented by this bucket, here's what this means to you. It means that God, in his incredible grace and kindness, and it says right there, according to the kind intention of his will, as it says in Ephesians 1, has poured out these blessings upon us. So just picture your life as this bucket, and you're just under this spigot that is just pouring blessings into your bucket, and all you're thinking is, it's so great to be filled with blessings. Isn't it wonderful to be blessed? Fill my bucket, Lord. Fill my bucket. Fill my bucket. And we're holding God's blessings, and we're enjoying God's blessings, and we get filled up with God's blessings. And a lot of us walk around with our bucket so full of blessings that the only thing we could think that we could possibly need is a bigger bucket. And we're just asking God, give me a bigger bucket so I could have even more blessings. And our lives can get caught up that way. And we walk around thinking that we're a bucket to hold God's blessing. But according to the scripture, you are not a bucket to hold God's blessing. God didn't save you so that you could hold his blessing. God has something else in mind for you. Instead of being a bucket, God says we should be something more like a pitcher. See, God, this will hold God's blessings too, won't it? You could put this under the same spigot and it could get filled with those blessings. But what's the difference between a bucket and a pitcher? That's right. A bucket is designed to hold and a pitcher is designed to pour. God intends for you and I to live our life like pitchers that are filled with his blessings. Why? So that he can take those blessings, carry them to someone else, and pour them out in their lives. And you go, but, but wait a minute. That doesn't feel right. If others get, all the blessings get poured out, I'm empty. And God says, no, 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 because my spigot follows you. 
and I just keep filling you and filling you and filling you. And as you go and pour, there's never a time when it runs out. Jesus talked about this. He, he talked about himself as living water who keeps springing up even to eternal life. He just keeps refilling our pitcher. And God wants to use us to take that pitcher of blessing and pour it upon other people. We are not intended to be holders of his blessings. We are intended to be um, carriers of his blessings and givers of his blessings. He pours through us. You were never expected or designed or created to be a bucket. God created you to be a pitcher. We are distributors of the blessings of God. He doesn't bless you just for you. Now listen, he loves you. He's proven that, right? He's crazy about you. He'll go to any lengths to bless you, but he's not doing it just for you. His idea is that you can be totally blessed, continually receiving his blessing as you continually pour those blessings upon others. Not only are you to be a receiver of his blessing, but you're to be a conduit of his blessing, a deliverer, a distributor, if you will, of his blessing. Verse 1 of Psalm 67 asks for God's grace and his blessing upon us, but verse 2 explains that his grace is meant to be poured through us onto others. And if we go back and look at this psalm, you're going to see that he's always talking about these people who are supposed to get blessed, right? And there are three different words if you were to read this in the Hebrew, which I'm sure most of you did before you came this morning, right? If you were to read this in the Hebrew, you would find that these words that keep referring to these people that God wants to bless, they're different words. And one of the, one of the Hebrew words is found in verse 3. It says, let the peoples praise you, O God. Let all the peoples praise you. And that, that word there for all the peoples or, or the peoples is really just a simple Hebrew word. It's the plural of am or to be, the verb to be. And so all he's saying is multiple individuals. There are multiple individuals out there upon whom God wants to pour his blessing. And God will bring you into relationship with different individuals. You are probably not going to be someone who gets to do something that blesses every human being on the earth directly. But you are going to constantly be bumping into people. Now, if your picture is filled with God's blessings filled with God's grace, filled with God's mercy, filled with God's love, and you keep bumping into people, what happens? It spills all over them. Individuals, specific individuals that God has in mind. Has it ever occurred to you that that neighbor who is so um, standoffish that they never want to talk to you, that maybe God put them right next to you because your blessing is supposed to pour out on them? Has it ever occurred to you that the other neighbor on the other side that has the parties till three in the morning with mariachi music that keeps you awake, that maybe God put them there so they could be recipients of the blessings that are supposed to pour out from your life? Individual people, the guy in the cubicle next to you, the lady that's always gossiping at work, that person who picked on you in second grade, has it ever occurred to you? that maybe those people are bumping into your life for a reason? Individual people. He's blessed you to be a blessing to them, but that's not the only word for people here. There's another word he uses for people. We see it in verse 4. Let the nations be glad and sing for joy. 
He's talking about the nations. And the word nation, we think of a nation as, a, as like a government or a country. But that's not what the word nation means here. The word that is translated as nation from the Hebrew simply means people group. So it could be a tribe. It could be any way that people are grouped together. For instance, uh, the Jews would be a, a, a nation. The um, Americans, a nation. Women, a nation. Children, a nation, right? Any way that you could group people together and say, these people have a bunch in common, this is this group of people. So what he's saying is that he has not only filled your picture so you could pour on individuals, but that you're actually supposed to develop a heart for specific groups of people. And some of you know exactly what I'm talking about. There are people in this room who are school teachers, and the reason you're a school teacher is because your heart beats for kids and you do anything to bless them. There are people here who have um, gone into the mission field, the same country, over and over and over again, because for whatever reason, your heart beats for the people of that nation, or maybe one tribe within that nation that you have made contact with that you're praying for. Man, I want to say it's been 20 years ago now, I was at a missions conference, and they had the names of every country in the world taped on the walls of the building. And they challenged us to choose one and just begin to care for them. And I chose North Korea. And I didn't know hardly anything about North Korea at that time. But I do now. They're, they're a nation of people that I pray for on a regular basis. And I try to do things that will somehow help them. And I support ministries that go to North Korea. And I pray for this country. And when, they, when their old dictator died and their new son became a dictator and everybody was hopeful thinking it might be better now. This guy might be softer. He might be easier. And he turned out to be worse than his father. I continue to pray. And I pray to this day for the nation of North Korea. They have my heart. There are other nations where I have been, where these people just have my heart. You know who else has my heart? Teenagers. I just love teenagers. I know, call me crazy. I love them. I love them. And I care so much about what they're going through and the challenges that they face. And I want to do what I can to help them. There are certain people groups, certain nations that should be on our hearts that we should be thinking, God, pour my life out in this person, on these people, on this people group. And there's a third word the psalmist uses, and it refers to people, but it's even more specific, and it's found back in verse 2. Look at verse 2. That your way may be known on the earth, your salvation among all nations. And so there we see that word nations again, but it's not the same Hebrew word. This word for nations is a very specific word about a people group. This is a people group who is the other guys, okay? In other words, not you, the bad guys, your enemies. So if you're a Jew and you see this word, you think Gentile. If you're a Christian and you see this word, you think unbeliever. These are the opposite of you, okay? That's what that word means. A, a people group that is the opposite of you, a people group that is not you, and he says well, we're supposed to have this life where God pours blessings into us and those blessings pour out upon people who are not like us and God forbid people that we don't even love, people that we don't care for, people that we'd rather not deal with. 
People who we honestly wish would just dry up and go away. And I'm not talking about individuals. I'm talking about people groups here. And this is where prejudice comes in. And God is saying that he has a heart for us to pour blessings into our lives and that those blessings should be poured out upon those people who we are often the most prejudiced against. God saved you and blesses you so you can be a blessing to those other guys. And I don't know who those other guys are for you, but if you have uh, hatred in your heart toward any people group, if you have disrespect in your heart toward any people group, you're in sin. Simple as that. That's what God has in mind. And we're living this out in the world today as we watch the, the Islamic terrorist um, threat become greater and greater, and we see the fallout of that. And what are we tempted to do? We're tempted to not only protect ourselves, but to harden our hearts and to hate whoever fits in that people group category. And I got news for you. You could say what you want, post all your ridiculous, moronic, paranoid baloney on Facebook that you want to post, but I'm going to tell you something. God loves Muslims. Amen. What are you going to do about that? What are we going to do about the fact that there are billions of people who are praying to a false god they call Allah, and they have been indoctrinated, many of them, to believe that they should wipe out the people who are not like them? Are we going to see them as our enemies? Oh my goodness, when you stop and think about what our leaders face in terms of the challenge of what to do about the Islamic terror threat, it makes your head swim. It is such a huge problem. What are we going to do? Do we just not let any refugees into our country? Do we put up walls all around and don't let anybody near us? Do we just nuke every one of them, the innocent and the guilty? Do we just lump them all together and say, wipe them off the face of the earth? What do we do with these people? You know, the only thing that I can tell hasn't been tried very well? Loving them. What if we loved them? What would happen if our lives became a blessing to people who are the other guys. Sorry, I got to meddling. Different people. Psalm 67 is telling us God's grace is not just for us. His grace is poured into our lives so that he might pour it into the lives of others through us. Let me put it this way. You have been blessed to be a blessing. But why doesn't that happen more? Why don't Christians have this reputation of being blessers? Why don't they marvel at our love for them? Why aren't they shocked by how generous and compassionate that we are? And why are we so often to content, content to have our buckets filled and just sit and enjoy the fullness of it? When God says, I'm filling you for a purpose and people need these blessings. See, pitchers are refillable. You just keep going back to the source, and he fills you, and he pours you out again. Go back to Psalm 67, and we're going to get the final reason for all of this. What's the ultimate purpose? Look at verse 3. Let the peoples praise you, O God. Let all the peoples praise you. Look at verse 5. Let the peoples praise you, O God. Let all the peoples praise you. Look at verse 7. God blesses us that all the ends of the earth may fear him. Why have you been blessed? You've been blessed to be a blessing. Why have you been blessed to be a blessing? 
that all the world might give glory to God. It's all for His glory. So I want you to think about it this way. You can memorize it. We are blessed to be a blessing for the glory of God. Does that make sense? Let's say it together. We are blessed to be a blessing for the glory of God. Now say it like you mean it. We are blessed to be a blessing for the glory of God. It's simple. It just ain't easy. But Lord, make us pitchers that our lives might be poured out and the world might experience him and give him glory. Billions of people out there who need to experience the blessings and the grace of God, your friends and your neighbors, your family members, people all around the world, especially hurting people, poor people, hurting people, disenfranchised people, marginalized people, refugees, homeless people, who are just dying to experience a bit of God's blessing that we have received in an overabundance. And finally, people who hate God and hate those who love God. He loves them too. And he wants to use us to show his amazing grace to those who just like us, just like we once were, are still his enemies. Are you blessed? God has blessed you to be a blessing for the glory of God. When it's all said and done, may our lives look like this. And may we bring glory to his name. Let's stand together.